Hey everyone, welcome to Be Healthistic. Today in the show, my dad and I are bringing you another episode in our Pulse Check series, where we discuss trending health topics and share with our listeners what you should know right now. This time, we're talking about new articles and studies that reveal even more good news about some of our favorite health choices, like drinking tea and eating lots of fruits and vegetables and listening to good music. Welcome to Be Healthistic, the podcast that's more than just health and wellness information. It's here to help you explore your options across traditional and natural medicine so that you can make informed decisions for you and your family. This podcast illuminates the whole story about holistic health by providing access to the expertise of Dr. Steve and Drew Sinatra, who together have decades of integrative health experience. Be Healthistic is powered by our friends at Healthy Directions. Now, let's join our hosts. Hi, folks. If you like what you hear today and you want to listen to future conversations on all things integrative and holistic health, subscribe to our podcast at BeHealthisticPodcast.com. Also, check out and subscribe to the Healthy Directions YouTube channel, which features video versions of our episodes plus extra videos you won't want to miss. And finally, we have more with me, Dr. Drew Sinatra, my dad, Dr. Steve Sinatra, and other health experts at HealthyDirections.com. Well, my dad just moved to Florida. He's back down there again, and his connection isn't the best, although we can still hear him. Uh, so without further ado, let's jump right into the conversation, Dad. It's good to be here, Drew. It's good to be back in Florida, I'll tell you that. I, I bet I it is. I beach this morning and uh, was grounding the whole time, and uh, it's awesome. I forgot how great it is down here. I really did. <laughs> well, you got your sunshine and your vitamin D now, too, so there's another right, plus. exactly. All right, for our first topic... We're going to be talking about uh, a beverage, by the way, Dad, which is the second most consumed beverage in the world behind water, and that is tea. And right. we've talked a lot about tea in terms of the, the cardioprotective benefits. It might have some anti-cancer properties to it. We know it's an antioxidant. It's got these polyphenols in it. Today, specifically, we're going to be talking about these uh, compounds uh, called catechins, which are under that polyphenol umbrella. And we're going to discuss how drinking tea may actually help lower your blood pressure. So were you surprised to hear about this, Dad? No, not really, because remember, in previous broadcasts, I talked about the Zuplin Elderly study, and that was a black tea. And, it, and um, when I was you know, working in the cardiac catheterization lab you know, decades ago, I came across a paper on green tea. And mm -hmm. green tea is the one beverage in Japan that if the Japanese had more than five cups of green tea a day, Drew, one in five cups of, of, of tea, they did not develop coronary artery disease. And this was a big cardiac cath study of over 500 patients. And they looked at all these participants, whether they drank sake or beer or wine or soda or green tea or black tea. It was green tea only that stood out mm -hmm. in preventing orthosclerosis. So I'm all in when it comes to green tea. Oh, it's fantastic. I mean... Let's give the listeners a little background on these catechins. So there's two catechins in particular that are going to help activate this protein, which I'll mention. One is called epicatechin gallate, that's ECG, and the other right. is epigallocatechin 3 gallate, which is EGCG, which our listeners might be familiar with. Some supplements out there actually contain EGCG in it. Now, these particular catechins have been shown to activate this particular protein, KCNQ5, which is involved in uh, potassium ion flow. So what they found is that these catechins in the green tea, when you consume it, 
they can activate this protein, this KCNQ5, which then allows more potassium in and out of cells, which therefore has the effect on blood vessels to relax and then hence lower blood pressure. No, now, that's right. That's the, that's the biochemistry and physiology, Drew. Well said. Yeah, and, and I think I think this is pretty neat for our listeners to know too. Is that when you ferment tea, so a lot of you know a lot of oolong tea or black tea is fermented. Um, that's when the oxidation of these catechins actually occurs, which then leads to a higher concentration of them. So I always tell you know my my patients if you're going to drink tea, you got to drink it properly. So you can either buy it in a in a bag form, or, you know, from wherever it is. Like they, in this study, they actually use Trader Joe's tea. Uh, but you can also buy it in loose form, which is what I recommend because I find that you can get a really high quality uh, tea in a loose herb form. And when you steep it, you want to make sure you're following the directions in terms of temperature. So, for example, green tea, you never want to pour boiling water on green tea. It's going to ruin it. It's going to make it taste bitter. It's not going to taste good at all. So make sure you're following the directions on, on terms of what temperature to pour uh, the water on. If it's going to be green tea, black tea, oolong tea, they all have different temperatures you want to use. And also the amount of time that you're steeping it. Because if you steep it too long, you're going to have a lot of those bitter qualities come out and then you're not going to enjoy drinking it. No, I agree. In fact, um, there was an APRN woman that was at Dr. Lee Cowden's conference with me sitting in the first row and we became you know, really good friends and she's good friends with Jan. For a Christmas present, she sent me Churchill's teas from uh, I think they're from Kentucky or Ohio, but this this is about 20 different varietals of green tea, Drew. Mm. And it's amazing. They have so many different constituents inside the green tea. And again, after, you know, reading that study on green tea, and uh, in fact, I had green tea this morning. And, and you know, the only caveat, well, it's not really a caveat. You're absolutely right. Sometimes if you boil the water too, too long, in fact, maybe this is the reason why it tastes a little bitter. You know, mm -hmm. maybe this is the reason why you just brought it up. But if you do uh, boil the water and the green tea does taste a little bitter, what I add to it is a little bit of maple syrup, like a half a teaspoon. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and again, you know, it's not like, you know, fructose or sugar. You know, it's, it's maple syrup. It's, it's a natural sugar. It's got, you know, some other compounds in it that are really good. But... Um, a lot of people will not drink green tea because they do boil the water. It does taste bitter. So the point I want to make is don't boil the water. Bring it to near boiling. Let it steep. And if it's still not right, try a little bit of maple syrup. And it might be the perfect AM beverage. You know, if you, you know, can do, do those considerations like I just mentioned. Because I think the maple syrup makes a big difference. But I'm going to take your advice and only go to the water maybe 185 to to maybe 200 degrees, don't boil it. That's all. Yeah, and a lot of kettles you can buy out there that actually have the temperatures on them. So right. you know, boiling water, and then it has a you know coffee setting, and then it has a black tea setting, a green tea setting, even a white tea setting. Actually, Jan, in fact, bought me one of those around eight years ago. So we've been using that every single day since. So I got to thank her. All right. I'll, <laughs> I'll tell her after the broadcast. Um, no, Dad, I found this pretty interesting because I thought that coffee would have been the second – most consumed beverage in the world. But in fact, it was tea. Yeah. And, you know, I want to bring this up because I think tea is not really big in North America. It's it, it's it's maybe perhaps third or fourth in line, right? I think it's water, coffee, and then and then tea or perhaps something else. My uh, brother-in-law's wife, Lindsay, I love to have her on the show, Dad. She does a tea ceremony. And what it is is she brings her, her tea set and we have meditation cushions set up. She plays some music in the background. She lights some incense. And for about 45 minutes, 
she does multiple pourings of these different black and oolong teas. And it's absolutely amazing because you really get into this, this, uh, this ceremony around tea that we don't have. We, I think we're so used to just making our tea, getting our caffeine fixed, and then going about doing our work. But there's really uh, a really deep connection that you can form with tea. And I think a ceremony is a great place to do it. And uh, perhaps we'll have her on the show and, and go over the ceremony. But it's a, it's a wonderful way to, to really, you know, be with your community, your friends, your family, drink some tea and feel good afterward. No, well said. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe the real purpose of this broadcast is to get people to consider drinking tea, whether it's green tea or black tea. Uh, I agree with you. I think green tea and black tea are, are much better than coffee as a beverage in the morning. Absolutely. OK. You get just so much more, um, you know, polyphenols, bioflavonoids, et cetera, et cetera, you know, with, with the teas. No doubt about it. OK. Well, the takeaway here is if you drink some tea, you might have a blood pressure lowering effect. OK. Topic number two is going to be all about fruits and vegetables, something that you and I speak about all the time on the show. And this is a really cool finding, Dad. Basically, they looked at those over 100,000 people that they had in this, this long cohort study. It was over you know, 20, 30 years, according to two different studies. So with these 100,000 people, this is what they found. This is, this is going to blow your mind. If you compare those who consumed two servings of fruit and vegetables per day, those who consumed five servings of fruit and vegetables per day had a 13% lower risk of death from all causes, a 12% lower risk of death from, from cardiovascular disease, including heart disease and stroke, a 10% lower risk of death from cancer, and a 35% lower risk of death, death from respiratory disease, such as COPD. Now, that's huge. You're going from eating two fruits and vegetables per day to five servings of fruits and vegetables per day, and we have that lowering of a risk of mortality. It's fantastic. Yeah, and, and the gold standard is 12. If you can get to 10 to 12, uh, you know, that's what you really want to do. That's why I make that special salad of mine five to seven days a week. I talked about it on previous broadcasts, but I think, uh, I think that salad, and again, I had it last night, um, uh, you know, because I just got to Florida. We couldn't go shopping. We brought some salad fixings on the plane, and, and I have to tell you, it was just, it's just awesome, especially when you combine your salads with a little bit of onions containing quercetin, certainly avocado, which supports the production of glutathione. You know, if you, if you can add glutathione and avocado to the salad with yep. blackberries, raspberries, strawberries, you know, any fruits, uh, and then use some kale and cabbage and carrots. Oh, my gosh. It's so easy, and it's, it's so good for you. I'm all yep. in on it. And, and I, did, I want to give our, our listeners and viewers an understanding of what is a serving of a fruit and vegetable, because it, it, it can be a little confusing. Now, here's, here's some ideas. One cup of raw vegetables is one serving. A half cup of cooked vegetables, whether you roast them or steam them, that's considered one serving. Um, two cups of leafy greens. So, for example, you mentioned your salad. If you have uh, four cups of lettuce in there and four cups of spinach, you're going to have tons of servings of vegetables right there. Uh, also, if you consume two medium-sized whole vegetables, like two carrots or two stalks of celery, that's considered one serving of vegetable. And lastly, if you eat a whole vegetable, like a bell pepper, for example. So I think we hear this all the time, but get your servings of fruits and vegetables in, but really having an understanding of what is a serving size of a vegetable is really important. The same thing goes for fruits too. Think of it as a handful. If you have a handful of strawberries, that's like a serving size. If you have a cup of blueberries, that's a serving size of, of blueberries. Oh, well said. And, 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 and 
there's so go ahead. The Indiana niche. Remember we talked about the colors of the rainbow? Yes. So for our listeners, what's really simple is the more colorful your fruits and vegetables, and if you can eat them raw in a salad, the, the better you are. Absolutely. I, I completely agree with that. And I wanted to share my top three tips, Dad, for getting more vegetables into people. And this is this. For breakfast, you can do a smoothie. Right. And in that smoothie, you throw a handful of spinach in there. You might throw half an avocado in there. And of course, you want to add some fruit in there as well. Maybe some frozen berries, maybe half a banana. So that's a great way to up your fruit and vegetable content really quickly in the morning. Now, another idea for breakfast would be something I learned from you is making an omelet. So you can saute your onion, you saute some spinach, maybe throw some mushrooms in there, maybe some cut up fennel, throw it in your omelet, eat that thing. You've probably got around two, three servings right there. Of, of vegetables. Um, and then we, we always do, and I think I learned this from you, Dad, is steaming. Super oh, yeah. simple, right? You set, your, you set your, your pot up on the stove, put some water in there, heat it up, boil it. You add your broccoli, you add your cauliflower, whatever it is you want to steam. Steam it lightly, right? You don't want to oversteam things, right? But just lightly enough that it becomes soft in your mouth. That's a great way to consume more vegetables. And then my last tip is roasting vegetables. And this is what we always do. We put things on a big uh, pan in the oven with some parchment paper on it, and we roast uh, sweet potatoes, and we roast uh, cauliflower and broccoli and fennel and all these sorts of vegetables. It's a great way to consume it. And then once they're out, you drizzle some olive oil on top, some salt and pepper, and you're golden. I love it, Drew. Before we move on to the next topic, one more thing I just thought of too, especially for kids, right? For parents out there that have kids. If you want to increase their vegetable intake, you cut up some vegetables on the table, whether it's some broccoli or some cauliflower, some celery, some, some uh, carrots, um, bell peppers, and just have a good dip, whether it's a hummus dip or a bean dip or whatever kind of favorite dip you want to use. But you know, when our kids are hungry and just so starving and they just want to eat anything in front of them, throw some vegetables down there with a good dip and you're good to go. Well said, son. You, okay. You have, oh, go ahead. Hunger drives. It drives like crazy. So when your kids are hungry, they'll eat anything. They'll eat anything. So put vegetables in front of them. Okay. For topic number three, we're going to talk about something that uh, you and I have talked a lot about, Dad, and that is LP little a, lipoprotein A. And, you know, the research is just coming out more and more about how this is really a pro-inflammatory, uh, you know, LDL-like particle, essentially, that has a essentially sticky properties and it's very bad for the endothelium lining our blood vessels. So it's really not good. And we're finding that it can yeah, definitely increase your risk of heart disease. So let's talk about today a little bit about LP little a. Sure. I mean, it's, it's one of my favorite topics because um, when I came across this article by Gaziano et al from the, from the Massachusetts general group, it was in 1998. Uh, again, I was a practicing cardiologist reading the literature all the time and it blew me away, Drew, because um, they stated that this was, in their opinion, the number one risk factor. Now, around that time, um, when I wrote my book, Reverse Heart Disease Now, with Dr. Jim Roberts, we were looking at the toxic blood syndrome. In other words, we were looking at fibrinogen, LP little a, homocysteine, um, you know, all those, all those disastrous situations you have in your blood that mm -hmm. really causes inflammation, because inflammation is the root cause of heart disease. So when we came across this data on LP little a, I started to check it more and more in my patients. And I was amazed, Drew. It is a risk factor. There's no doubt about it. And then when the Biogenome Project came out uh, around that same time, but it takes 20 years for the information to really, you know, get through the medical literature, et cetera, et cetera. Um, now with the Biogenome Project, we realized that LP little a 
is inherited more and more, and it occurs as a spontaneous mutation as well in, in the genetic code. So now it behooves every internist and cardiologist on the planet, you know, when they're screening people for cardiovascular disease, get a LP to little A, because the good news is you can neutralize it. And, you know, you can neutralize it with nutraceutical support. So that's mm -hmm. the really good news. So you're recommending that uh, everyone get tested for it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Everybody tests HDL, LDL, you know, the, the oh, look, that's fine. But if you really want to get into the uh, prevention of coronary artery disease, you got to test LP little a, no question about it. Got it. And in terms of lowering it, Dad, I know there's some newer uh, medications out there. There's some injections, actually, that can help lower it. Uh, what else can people look for in terms of lowering of LP little a? Well, the easiest thing is niacin. The problem is, is people can't tolerate niacin because of the flush, but some people can. And I remember in my practice, I would warn them about the flush and I would, they would start off with hundred milligrams, go to 250, go to 500, go to a thousand. And uh, lots of times that neutralized LP little a, you know, a mere thousand milligrams of niacin. But again, is, you know, one of my favorite supplements that healthy directions was nanokinase. I absolutely loved it because nanokinase uh, would, would help to not only to get rid of the toxic effects of LP little a, but sometimes in some patients, it would lower the LP little a number. Mm -hmm. Now, kinase was much better at lowering the LP little a number, but nanokinase worked on the blood coagulation effects, you know, the thromb we call it, you know, thrombosis, and it worked as on the anti-inflammatory effects. So, like you said, LP little a is highly thrombotic. It means it causes blood clotting. It's highly inflammatory. So nanokinase sort of rebuffed those two, you know, complications. And, uh, you know, my patients did much better. So you can use lumbrokinase from Canada. And the term is Baluki. You know, that's, Baluki. The, Correct. that's really good. I mean, that's, oh, my God, because that's fibrinolytic. That just thins the blood. I mean, that's, I mean, I, I love, uh, uh, you know, lumbrokinase. But... Again, you know, we talked about hormonal replacement therapy, remember? Yes. If a male takes testosterone, that lowers LP to little a. If a female mm. takes estrogen, that has an impact on LP little a. So there's a lot of things that can affect it. So if you have a high number, it's not a death sentence. Remember that. That's the, that, that's the point I want to get to our listeners today, that there are a lot of ways to skin this cat of having a high LP little a. And Dad, would you say that um, LPA, sorry, LP little a is, is more important to measure and monitor than something like LDL, or would you say they're about oh, equal? I absolutely think so. I okay. mean, I, because like I said, I, you know, the problem why the public doesn't understand or fathom LP little a is that the doctors aren't educated in it because there's no pharmaceutical drugs that can lower it. Now, statins can make it worse. Statins can drive up LP little a. That's what I've heard. And, and you know, well, you know, one of the, you know, one of the things about statins, what they can do is they can cause coronary calcification. Uh, one of the reasons is that you know, since it can drive up LP little a, and LP little a is so pro-inflammatory, you know, that could be a, an aspect of it. But remember, um, you know. If, if I put anybody on a statin, I would always check for LP little a uh, just to make sure that they didn't have a high LP little a as well. Okay, so the takeaway here, Dad, is that you want to have your LP little a tested at right. least once in your life, maybe some other times to monitor if it's going down or not. And ways to lower it would include something like niacin, something like lumbrokinase, natokinase, 
and obviously working on other uh, inflammation pathways in your body, making sure you're eating a good diet, exercise, et cetera. But those, those three things mainly are going to help lower it. Oh, yeah. And, and, and my go-to favorite, coenzyme Q10. There's lots of papers now in the literature on coenzyme Q10 having a favorable, favorable impact on LP little A. So that's great. I mean, when I saw that, in fact, one of the first papers uh, that I saw that in was in your uh, that cardiologist uh, friend of yours. That's a natural. Oh, uh, Decker. Yes. What was yeah. yeah. about yeah. that? And I checked his references. His references were right on. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. You know, one thing about me, Drew, is when I read things in the literature, I'll take it in. I'll say, well, that's great. But I, I'll always go to the references just to make sure the author, you know, represented the reference well and didn't stretch the reference out. You know what I mean? Well, that applies to all information coming to us these days. Yeah. You need to look up the source because the source gets oh, yeah, I mean, a lot. You know, one third of the medical literature, one third, even in the best journals of the world, is fraudulent stuff. <laughs> it's, it's, it's biased. There's there's there's, there's money behind it. Yes, I can completely agree. <laughs> completely agree. Okay, Dad. Anything else you want to leave our listeners with with LP Little A, or are we are we all set? Oh, we're all set. We're all set. And, and remember, CoQ10 is really my go-to supplement. And again, there's plenty of other supplements you can use that we mentioned. And the, you know, your doctor can check it. If the number's going down, that's what you want. Okay. Wonderful. All right, for number or topic number four, we're going to talk about music, Dad. Right, and so we. I think everyone knows this is this must be privy to, to all the stuff you've done. Well, you know, this I think this is the most intuitive for our listeners right now because who out there has gone for a, a workout with some amazing music on and you feel like you can just hit your workout so much harder, right? You just feel like you can just push through. And, and other times in your life, if you're trying to go to bed at night, you might put some like relaxing, calming music on, or maybe when you're studying, you might put some, uh, you know, ambient type music on in the background to help you kind of just focus on what's in front of you. So I think people listening have obviously used uh, music as therapy, as medicine in a way to help move certain things. And so, I was really happy to see the study that came out that just proved all these things that I just said in terms of, you know, people that do high intensity exercise where they listen to motivational music, they feel like they can sort of like push through a lot easier and they actually feel like their workouts are, 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 are simpler. They don't have to exert themselves as much as they did without music. So I'm all about music, Dad. I think it's fantastic as a therapy. And um, I know recently you did a TV uh, program on this. Is that right? Yeah, it was a Barry Goldstein, and uh, uh, he's worked with Dr. Uh, Abram uh, with Healthy Directions, and uh, um, this was this was phenomenal because when I wrote my book Heartbreak and Heart Disease years ago, and uh, I was in a psychotherapy training program, I came across some interesting stuff about music, and 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 here it is in a nutshell: um, when a mother is carrying a fetus. Uh, and usually a mother's heartbeat can go between 60 and 120. I mean, usually. And uh, since 60 to 120 encompasses a lot of musical scores, and you're a musician, I mean, you know this better than I do, but basically there are certain musical um, recordings like the Brandenburg Concerto, for example, uh, uh, Raval, or, or, or the Planets, or Gustav's The Planets. In other words, these forms of classical music they have beats between 60 and 120. Mm-hmm. Now, this is, what I, this is what I read about years ago, and I wrote about it in my books. If a mother is pregnant and she's carrying, you know, her fetus, right? Mm-hmm. 
And if she listens to music, uh, uh, or if if uh, you know she's into, into music, and she delivers her baby, right? And if and if the baby is sort of sort of drawn to certain types of music, it might be because of the experience in utero. Mm-hmm. In other words, the mother's heartbeat is going between sixty and one hundred and twenty, or most people's heartbeats go between that. I mean, seventy-two is sort of quote, quote average, but if if in utero the infant is is sort of hearing this, you know, mm-hmm. issues and protoplasms of the mother when the baby is born, that infant may be attracted to certain types of music. And this is what I said on this show. And wouldn't you behold it? The producer, the woman who interviewed me was the product of two musicians, two mm-hmm. classic musicians, Beautiful. both a mother and a father. And she said to me, is that the reason why I absolutely love hearing my parents play music? Is that the reason? I go, yes, that's the reason. In other words, it's bringing back a pleasant experience while she was being in the womb. Yeah. Think about that. That's yeah. incredible. Absolutely incredible. So I, I just feel that, um, you know, anybody, if they're, if they're pregnant and if they like to listen to classical music, please do it because those overtones are being assimilated, you know, by your growing baby. It's just great stuff. That is great stuff. Dad. Thanks for sharing that. I like that story. Uh, one, one piece of the research that I found really interesting was that they found that if you wake up your alarm clock with a pleasant tone instead of like that, uh, 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 you, you actually wake up with less grogginess and you have more alertness. And I thought that that was really cool because, gosh, for how many years, Dad, did, did we all use the, those terrible oh. alarms that were just like you, all of a sudden you have this massive cortisol surge in your body and adrenaline's pumping through your veins when you don't need to have that. You can have some just calming, relaxing music in the morning to wake you up instead of the jarring alarm. You know, you're absolutely right. When I used to take call every other night for years as a as an, an emergency room CCU ICU cardiologist, that phone would ring nonstop in the middle of the night. I got to mm-hmm. tell you, and uh, you know, you're right. You get jarred from from sleep, and uh, it took me years to really uh, trust going back to sleep. You know, once I finally got away from you know those early midnight, late midnight, early AM phone calls, because it does jar you and it, and it, and it, and it, and it does make a difference. I mean, it, it, it really does. So our takeaway here for our listeners are basically is this, our, our takeaways are, is if you're attracted to certain pieces of classical music, that might be an earlier reminder of a pleasant experience of you in, the, in, in your mom's womb. So I want to put that out to our listeners. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you want to use music for whatever it is, studying, exercise, relaxing, waking up in the morning, use it because music's fantastic. It is. And by the way, the, the rock music or the or the uh, or that rap music, what's the music where it's really uh, oh, it's, like heavy metal type? Yeah, stuff. the heavy metal music had a negative impact on the autonomic nervous system as opposed to classical music having a positive impact. So well, that makes sense. That's another takeaway. <laughs> Before we wrap up the show today, we're going to share a little wellness wisdom with you. One of the other trending items that we came across was something that we talk a lot about in the show, and that is how the overabundance of air pollution we all live with impacts our health. Now, according to a new Stanford-led study from this past February, 
Children exposed to air pollution, such as wildfire smoke and car exhaust, for as little as one day may be doomed to have higher rates of heart disease and other ailments in adulthood. You know, as a dad who just had his third child, this is very disconcerting to me and something that I obviously want to protect my children. And, you know, you and I have talked a lot about detoxification, dad, and hydration to be, you know, lowering our toxic load in our bodies. So let's each of us share one piece of our advice with our listeners about how to rid our bodies and our children's bodies of these toxins. You go first. Oh, any toxin? I mean, oh my gosh. I mean, I think the best way to detox, I don't know if you can do this with your kids, but uh, I love the sauna. I just absolutely mm. love the sauna. Um, you know, I think you can bring young children into a sauna, especially if you if you sit them with you. you can. My God, when I was in uh, uh, Scandinavia and in uh, Italy, I, I remember being in saunas with you know younger children. But they were they weren't alone; they were always with parents. Yep. And uh, uh, I I think if you can teach children that sweating is a healthy thing, really healthy for the body. Uh, that's really good. The other thing that children really gravitate to, Drew, and I know your own children did this, and this is probably what you're going to say, I don't know, but the trampoline, you know, mm. the, the trampoline. <laughs> lymphatics. Uh, the, the lymphatic system. So these, these little, you know, trampolines are about three feet across, you know, some of them are bigger. Where if you can rebound a little bit, this is moving the lymph in your body, and when you're doing this, uh, this is awesome for, uh, you know, uh, facilitating, you know, a lot of that stucky garbage, uh, you know, chemicals, petrochemicals, even mercury. I mean, all this stuff that's in our lymph as well as our subcutaneous tissues. So sorry I gave a second pearl. Maybe it was your pearl. I don't know. No, I think two pearls is great. And I, I want to comment on your first pearl, Dad, Asana. You're right. I mean, I've, I've gotten Kai into it, my my nine-year-old son, and uh, Luke is just getting involved in it. He's five and a half. But it takes a little getting used to. A lot of the kids don't like the heat. But if you do get them used to it from a young age, they do really enjoy it. And um, I've had I've had fantastic times in the sauna with Kai. We've, you know, I get to bond with him there, actually. So, you know, you get the, the bonding effect and also the detox effect. Now, for my wellness wisdom piece, I wanted to mention uh, air purifiers, something that you and I have talked a lot about as well. But you can filter out some of that uh, particulate matter. Really good for the wildfire smoke that uh, you know occurs on a yearly basis now in California, and uh, can also take away VOCs. And it really cleans up the air, makes it smell better, and I think it's a great way to reduce that toxic burden that from the air we breathe. Yes, well said. No, a lot of good information for our listeners today. I'll tell Absolutely. you that. Absolutely. And a lot Absolutely. of this stuff you won't be able to read in books either. <laughs> this is good stuff. That's our show for today, folks. If you have a question or an idea for a show topic, please send us an email or share a post with us on Facebook. And remember, if you like what you heard today and you want to be an active member of the Be Healthistic community, subscribe to our podcast at BeHealthisticPodcast.com or on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your favorites. You can also find more great content and information from us and the Healthy Directions team at HealthyDirections.com. Well, thanks so much, everyone, for joining us. I'm Dr. Drew Sinatra. And I'm Dr. Steve Sinatra. And this is Be Healthistic. Thanks for listening to Be Healthistic, powered by our friends at Healthy Directions with Drs. Drew and Steve Sinatra. See you next time.